Thank you for downloading this podcast from Abrupt Audio. You can find more episodes of this and many other podcasts at abruptaudio.com. Subscribe today to get the next episode automatically. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pixel Podcast. I'm Martin and I'll be your host this week. Today I'm joined by Ben. Say hello, Ben. Hello, Ben. Remember, you can check us out on iTunes and use the podcast app if you're an Apple user. If you're an Android user, you can find us on the Stitcher app. And for further information on the articles we discuss, you can find them and us on abruptaudio.com. It's episode 13, and lucky for some, with that, let's dive into our weekly topics. There's a band called 1023 Megabyte. They haven't had any gigs yet. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Just want to remind you before we dive in with our first topic that myself and Martin are going to be setting out on a 24-hour game stream in the name of charity. The core charity being BLF, the British Lung Foundation, a charity which helps my father and many other people like him uh, with his struggles with uh, various different lung diseases. And what they do is absolutely incredible. And honestly, they don't get half the uh, fundraising and limelight that they really should. So we're raising awareness and money for them at the same time by doing a game stream for 24 hours, which you guys are welcome to get involved with. We're also doing a live podcast during the event. The event itself will happen on the 14th of May, 4 p.m. BST. That's British Summer Time. You can obviously find your own time zones and convert them online. We'll try and provide links to that also. But the BLF isn't the only charity we're fundraising for. Some of the money will go for Cancer Research UK. And here's Martin to tell you a little bit why. As Ben said, we are doing two charities and the other one is Cancer Research UK. This has sort of had a special place in my heart as my mum and many other family members and friends have had cancer. And I feel like although it's still very well known and it gets funding, I still think we can do more for cancer. As they always say, you never are cured of cancer, you're a survivor of cancer. And hopefully one day it will be cured, gone forever. However, with that, I'm really excited that we're doing this charity event for both Ben and mine's charity. And if you could come along, that'd be fantastic. And to donate would be even better. You can check out all the information regarding this event on the following link, bit.ly forward slash BLF24HR2016. That's bit.ly forward slash BLF24HR2016. Or check the show notes on abruptaudio.com. So our first topic this week is all to do with a new electric guitar with a bit of a difference. This one is uh, supposed to enable people who previously haven't been very good or haven't had the patience to learn a guitar uh, to be able to play. So many people gave up trying to play the guitar when they were 12 years old. You know, it's approximately a few weeks after they started learning it, they didn't get very far. Truth be told, for most people, the sudden realization kicks in that it is a lot harder than it looks. And by, you know, a few weeks, they kind of give up. And here's a little fact for you. Apparently, according to the National Endowment of the Arts, only 12% of people play a musical instrument. A quote here says, I think only 5% really plays well. That's Brian Fan, co-founder and CEO of a company called Magic Instruments. With help from Ammunition, the San Francisco-designed firm renowned for its work on the Beats by Dre headphones, uh, Fan has created an instrument he believes will allow almost anyone to play music as soon as they pick it up. Magic Instruments call it the MI Guitar, which, sure, it has six strings and you can strum and a fretboard full of buttons that trigger a recorded guitar note when you push them. But... 
it isn't really a guitar. In fact, I'm not entirely sure what to call it. A keytar? A synthetar? I asked Fan if the instrument is a synth. Kind of, he says. It's recording of a guitar note being played, but when you play it through a high-quality speaker and you've got high-quality audio path, it sounds really good. Fan began working on the MI guitar a few years ago after failing to learn how to play the real thing himself. The tech entrepreneur has a musical background having studied piano as a teenager at Juilliard. I figured if anyone can pick it up quickly, it should be me, he says. That wasn't the case. He tried apps, the jamstick, the guitar, and YouTube videos. Then I realized there is no shortcut, he says. The issue is that the guitar's user interface is like a 300-year-old user interface that's dictated by the physics of vibrating strings. Van Hennen's team wanted to design a guitar interface from the ground up, one that was totally free of pesky physics. Essentially, what Magic Instruments has done is replace the awkward gesture of dampening strings with your fingers with creating a chord by pushing a single button. Each fret represents a different key, and each button represents a different type of chord. The bottom button, which is the biggest, plays the root chord. Fan figures people will be pushing this button about 60% of the time when they're playing the average pop, rock, or country song. Moving up the fret, you'll hit a button to play a power chord, a suspended chord, a major seventh chord, a dominant seventh chord, and lastly, a minor chord. As you move your fingers down the fingerboard, you can change the key of the chord. So, do we really think that this is the future? Is this what musical instruments will lead to? Uh, there has already been recent development in uh, musical instruments on terms of piano. We already have Roly with their musical keyboard that uh, is 3D touch sensitive so that you can actually push into and, uh, and have more ways of interacting with it than you would a normal piano. And now you've got this. But is it really just a way out of learning the guitar? Is it is it an easy um, way out, which I think isn't necessarily a good thing. You should have to learn in life, especially people when they're 12, should have to learn in life that you need to put in hard work and dedication to get anything out of uh, you know what you want to achieve. Things don't come easy. And uh, I don't think even playing this is going to be that easy. You'll still have to learn something. But I'm not sure how I feel about it. Martin, what do you think? Well, I wasn't a 12-year-old to say, but I was one of these people who failed to learn the guitar properly. I could play a few songs, you know, but I never really put it to that next level. And to your question, is this firstly, is this going to be the future? In funny enough, in films, they always have like these weird guitars with lacks of strings, but they can play notes. So maybe this is the future. But I agree with Ben. When growing up, when I got my first guitar, it showed me that I needed to put a lot of hard work and dedication into the guitar and to learn even some of my favorite songs on guitar. But I can still see it having a lot of momentum, especially for younger kids, as well as older adults who remember their favorite track from the 80s, the 70s, and want to just relive those moments. So I feel like it's the best of both worlds. Yes, it's a bit of a cop-out, but the enjoyment's still there. I think the main reason I'm skeptical is because I had to learn the guitar and, uh, you know, I had to put in the hard work to get to where I am and I still have to put more hard work in to get further up. And I feel that, you know, if someone can cheat their way to sound, you know, almost as good as I did over many years, then uh, I think that's just, I don't know, I just don't like the sound of that. It leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But... Maybe if you're someone that's maybe got arthritis in your hands or you do have issues with your hands or you can't really press down the string, because I will admit it is not easy to often play the guitar, even though there are easier ways of doing it. You can set up the guitar so it's easier to play. You can play electric guitars of acoustic, et cetera, et cetera. For some people, it may at least make it a bit more accessible, which I'm fine with. Just don't think that there's an easy way out of it. There isn't. Okay, our next topic is Dyson's first ever hair dryer will make the others all look weak. 
Cash to mind back a few years ago, Dyson's new product, Innovation Team, started buying up human hair by the tressful. A single tress of human hair is not a large amount. Put it in perspective, it's about 1.5 inches wide and 16 inches long. But when it's all said and done, Dyson engineer Anne-Marie Nicholson says the tech company had used 1,010 miles of human hair. That is enough to stretch from the northest point of California down to the Mexican border. Dyson bought all these strands because after years of building vacuums, hand dryers, fans, air purifiers, the company has decided to make a hair dryer. Dyson doesn't do things half-heartedly, and testing high-tech hair dryer on miles of human hair was essential to getting the device ready for market. Four years after its conception, it's ready. The British electronics company unveiled the Dyson Supersonic hairdryer today. It will become available in the United States later this fall. The Supersonic is only available in Japan for now. It's been seen a couple of months ago at a preview event at Dyson held at the hotel in Soho in New York City. Now, this is a bit of a change for Dyson. As I previously stated, they're usually with vacuums and air purifiers. And it's quite a bit of a jump or is it, Ben, for Dyson to go into hair product now? It's not really a jump because it's all working with air and airflow and air technology. That's something that they've done when it's creating some of the best suctions in the Hoover industry with a Dyson that was basically bagless. And also the air purifier slash air fan, which was more powerful than any other fan out there and was also completely safe because it didn't have any blades. So this is kind of the next stage for them, really. You know, it's something else that uh, hasn't really been innovated much in a long time which is normally an industry that they go into um, and they you know, try and find a new way of going about it using technology they already have. By the looks of the specs of this device though, the Supersonic is every inch of Dyson product. It's small for a hairdryer, about the size of a travel one, but it's packed with technology like Dyson's air multiplier feature, a digital motor and heat sensors. Like other Dyson products that reimagine a basic household appliance, the Supersonic isn't instantly recognizable for what it is. A grill and a nozzle typically bookend the barrel of the hairdryer, but with the Supersonic, there's just a rounded, hollow space that improbably emits enough hot air to dry your hair. Like other Dyson wares, it's also expensive, and that's something we're going to expect. It's, at the moment, looking to cost about $400, which is a lot of money. But anyone who buys a Dyson product, they buy it because the Dyson brand name, but also because they know it's going to work very well, it's going to be made of quality. And honestly, personally, I've had some experience with Dyson customer service. It's pretty damn good. And, uh, you know, they, for instance, with their Hoovers, they often replace motors and service them and things like that um, for many, many years. So the Hoover you buy lasts you a long time. And I think the same would be for products like this. Definitely, I am confident live up to their customer service expectations with things like this. So it's the kind of thing that maybe you spend a bit more money, but you only buy once and that you don't have to buy a separate travel hair dryer that's smaller to go with you and a bigger one for home. You have the one and that goes with you everywhere. I'm not someone maybe who would probably buy this. I do have a hair dryer and you know, I will admit it. I do use a hair dryer, but I'm a typical guy and I will go for probably cheap and cheerful over spending that kind of money. But I can imagine, honestly, if it is a lot lighter, someone like my mum who has really bad problems with her hands, she f struggles to grip things, especially heavy items um, and hold it up to that sort of um, level for that long next to your head. That honestly, even that alone might be enough for someone like her to buy it. Time for some gaming news now on the Pixel Podcast. And we have talked about Nintendo and the Nintendo NX pretty recently. But some exciting news has dropped. Let's dive in. 
as of listening to this podcast right now, let's assume you listen to it on launch day, it's been a few nights ago since Nintendo announced some big news. The company's next home console, codenamed NX. And it has a launch date globally in March 2017. Although, let's not hold our breath, consoles at the moment have a habit of being delayed. That's a quick turnaround from the Wii U, which launched in November 2012. However, even though it's releasing in less than a year, we still know very little about what the NX actually is. Nintendo has been very quiet about what the device will be, but thanks to a number of reports and rumors, we can at least piece together some details on the Wii U's successor. In terms of hardware, the only thing Nintendo has really said about the NX so far is that it will be very different from the company's last two consoles. A quote here says, I can assure you we're not building the next version of the Wii or the Wii U. That's Nintendo president Tatsumi Kimishima uh, in an interview for Time last year. It's something unique and different. It's something where we have to move away from those platforms in order to make it something that will appeal to our customer base. He said, calling it a next step in our dedicated device strategy, the core and primary focus of our business. But what would the device look like? According to the Wall Street Journal October, the device will likely include both a console and at least one mobile unit that could either be used in conjunction with a console or taken on the road for separate use. Maybe basically a better version of the Wii U where your actual controller can go out with you. So like you take a PS Vita and a PS4, put them together the baby of that, probably. In terms of games, the Wall Street Journal in October claimed that Nintendo was already distributing development kits, the hardware developers used to make games. Despite this, very few developers have said they're making games for the console. We do know that Dragon Quest XI, the next entry into Square Enix's long-running RPG series, is planned for the NX. It's also coming to PS4 and 3DS whenever it does release. Outside of that, we only know one game, but it's a big one at least. A few nights ago, Nintendo revealed that the upcoming, currently untitled, new Legends of Zelda game will become to the NX. Big surprise, a Zelda game on a Nintendo platform. Who'd have thought it? Nintendo says it will release more information on the NX later this year, though it won't say when. Surprisingly, though, the console won't have a presence at the industry's biggest trade show. A quote here says, NX will not make an appearance at the upcoming E3 video game trade show in Los Angeles in June but will be unveiled later this year, the company said. Instead, Nintendo's E3 presence will focus entirely on the new Legends of Zelda and only the Wii U version. A little bit sad to see. But with the NX launch less than a year away, it shouldn't be too long before we finally get a look at it. Now, it's just typical in Nintendo here. They bring out a Legend of Zelda game for a new console. Now, it's the same recycled hash strategy that they have all the time. They'll either get someone like Mario or Link to promote a game. Don't get me wrong, those names carry weight in the gaming industry. However, this is the problem with Nintendo for me. They have the same titles over and over. I watched a video online and it was done by the Game Theory. In it, they said, like, games like Link, Mario are the money for the smaller games that they're trying to invest with. However, I feel like Nintendo could invest into smaller departments and grab them together and make a bigger game. It is Nintendo. At one point, they dominated the gaming circuit. And now they've been dominated by PS4 and the Xbox One. And for me, it sort of saddens my heart seeing this because I remember the N64, how great that was. People always go back to that and go, yeah, I remember this game. This was fantastic. But... When I think of the Wii, I don't think greatness. And with the Wii U, I certainly don't even put it in the same league as its predecessors that were even the Xbox 360 and the PS3. I think the problem isn't the consoles anymore. The, the problem is the lack of games on the shelf. 
for me, that was why I didn't buy the Wii, the Wii U. And also, there are just so many things missing from it. And they don't really push it too much. I couldn't even tell you if you could get Netflix on the Wii U anymore. But And I feel for me, that would be a must if I, if I had a Netflix account. And I feel like with PS4, they brought in Spotify. I feel like maybe this NX needs to bring in maybe Spotify or a music service for gamers because we love listening to our own music while gaming. I don't want to get too much of a rant about this. And I just would love the NX to be that big step that really pushes the next gen and not sort of trails behind the PS4 and the Xbox One. Ben, what do you think? Yes, I agree with you, Martin. In my eyes, Nintendo hasn't been doing uh, enough recently. I know they always do their own thing, and uh, I do respect them for that, and, and a lot of people love them for that. But, you know, the Nintendo Wii was a massive console and did really well. So I think following that was really difficult with Nintendo, and the Wii U definitely didn't follow that. Um, it sort of half-heartedly did some of the stuff the Wii did right, but the rest of it, it did a bit wrong. The pricing was wrong, and, you know, then they started dropping prices all over the place to make up for that, which obviously hit their bottom line. And then it was just really close to the Xbox One and PS4. It was like, yo, hey, look at this console. But then it was like, no, there's two other consoles here that we're really excited about that's coming out really soon that's going to be far better than your console. Why would we show any interest? So... At least they've got the timing right on this one, and I think they did have to rush the next one out uh, to make up the gap because they didn't want to bring this out when the you know the PS5 or whatever whatever comes out because then the same thing's going to happen again. So they've got the right timing at least, but we'll have to see. Uh, like I said, I'll be interested to see some new IPs. That it's really going to be new IPs that would draw me to a new Nintendo platform, unless they're doing something absolutely crazy with the console that I couldn't not want to get involved with. And for me. Just another generation of uh, the same franchises is not going to be enough for me, and I'm sorry. I know there's plenty of people that love those franchises, and that'll be enough for them, and that's fine. I totally respect that. I completely understand, but it's just not for me. Coming away from the gaming scene into more technology realms, meet Lim, the tech company creating the ultimate wearable prosthetic sockets. Lim Innovations has all the makings of a cliche startup. It was founded by a pair of surf buddies in 2012 and the company's San Francisco office, wedged next to exactly the kind of business it's trying to disrupt. It's filled with youngish employees who frequent the killer burrito shop just down the street. But Lim isn't working on a social app or an Uber for the ex-delivery service or a bot. For the past five years, Lim has been working on making the ultimate wearable a prosthetic socket that is soft, adjustable, and modular. You know, this is really interesting, but at the same time, difficult for people like us to really understand what it's like to be in this situation because we don't have to wear prosthetic legs and we don't know the pain of wearing them. To give you some details, there's some parts of the lower limb, like the cheetah blade legs or the processor-controlled knees, are more recognisable, both because they're more visible to others and because the bulk of innovation in prosthetics has been devoted to these parts in recent years. The socket is the unsung hero of the prosthetic system. Physically, it's a giant cup that suctions onto a residual limb and attaches to the prosthetic. Conceptually, it's the critical interface between man and the machine. For decades, sockets have been pretty much the same way. The patient sees the prosthetist, a plaster mold is made, and a couple weeks later, the patient goes back to try on the sturdy carbon fibre socket that has been produced. Sometimes tweaks are needed, which could mean going back to the doctor and starting from scratch. Other times, the socket fits well, that is, until the patient loses or gains weight, which 
the limb guy is referred to as a volume change. In that case, the socket can be uncomfortable or even painful for the wearer, and then it's back to the plaster drawing board again. That's where limb is different. Prosthetics guy Garrett Hurley and his co-founder, orthopedic surgeon Andrew Petke, first conceived the limb infinite socket in 2011 and started shipping the product in 2014. Unlike traditional sockets, limb sockets are covered in soft material and a modular, more like a multi-part knee brace than a stiff carbon fiber cup. Some of limb sockets can be created from just two scans and half a dozen measurements of a personal residual limb. Only one of their socket requires making a plaster mold. In some cases, this can ship a socket within 24 to 48 hours. Some though, not all, of the 50 parts of the sockets are 3D printed in-house. The company, which rents a portion of its San Francisco workspace from a 35-year-old prosthetics and orthotics company in next door, has buckets of these parts stashed in what's called a inventory room, where it can quickly swap out parts to repair or just a socket. Now this is all really, really interesting, and I think when technology comes to improve people's lives, it's a really great thing. And I really do applaud what the company's doing here. Uh, there's obviously a need for improvements to be made in this industry that hasn't been very much made. And if we can make things better with technology, then I'm all for it. And I honestly do recommend that you read the full article that you can find on abruptaudio.com because there's a lot of information here and a lot of case studies and things like that. And it's honestly really, really nice to see. And it's a really heartwarming article. Martin, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. And like it said in the article, um, you can't really understand unless you're in that person's shoes and sort of experience that so I feel like it's great that technology does help people and it's fantastic that uh, Lim are actually doing this for people. And like you said, it's just so heartwarming and great to see that there's still good in the world. Let's jump back to gaming, shall we? And to be honest, we haven't actually very much talked about the game Call of Duty here on the podcast. So it's that time of year where we're going to start talking about it again. And I'll kick it off with the new Call of Duty name and the leak apparently on the PlayStation Store. Infinity Ward appears to be working on a game titled Infinite Warfare. The next Call of Duty game has a name, and it's, like I said, Infinite Warfare, according to what looks like an accidental listing on the PlayStation Store. As discovered by a Reddit user and verified by GameSpot, browsing to the trending section of the PlayStation Store on PS4 reveals a listing. Selecting the name takes you only to a blank page, but it's still the first indication of what this year's inevitable Call of Duty sequel will be called. Activision has yet to make any announcements regarding the next Call of Duty, but it's typically around the late May, April period of the year that it reveals the first details. That presumably will be the case again this year. Of course, we'll give you more information about this. Now, we're not going to talk about this for very long. Infinite Warfare, Martin, do you have any ideas what that might mean? What the, what, what the next Call of Duty will be about? Are you anticipating it? Are you excited for it? Okay, so obviously Infinity War did Ghost last, and I played the campaign, and it sort of left on a cliffhanger from there. So I'm thinking maybe the campaign then stretches on from that. However, Infinity War to Ghosts, the link isn't there for me. I, if I was actually expecting something like Ghost Two or or Ghost go back to the campaign, you know, I don't know. Bad jokes, bad jokes. But I'm not excited really for this next Call of Duty. For the pure reason is, for me, they've released so many now, I've sort of lost track. I think the last one I owned was either Ghost or Black Ops 3, whichever came out. Uh, sorry, Black Ops 2, which whenever, which whenever came out after that. So that's how like far behind I am on the Call of Duty scene now. I think it'll be a good game, though. In all honesty, I think it'll be a good game. Like I can see a lot of people gravitating to COD, as everyone does. And Infinity War, that's what my money's going to be on. It's going to be maybe 
uh, a carry on from that, or it's going to be so set far into the future and maybe they're going to switch it up and it's like an alien race because I know we had the extinction sort of game mode in Infinity Ward's Ghosts. So therefore, I feel like maybe they're going to make a campaign on just that. Yes, there are various theories going about the internet and uh, we could literally sit here all day to about the different theories. My personal theory and the theory that seems quite popular is the next Call of Duty is going to be based in space because it gives them a wide variety of opportunities and things to do. And people really loved the bit in the Ghost campaign when they were in space. It looked pretty awesome and uh, people do refer to it quite a bit and it was almost the game tester for next gen. And I think what's equally going to be a little bit interesting is the fact that um, this is kind of the real first chance that Infinity Ward have while they're used to the new generation of console they had to bring out the first next generation game and um, with the drop of the new console i think that was very difficult for them because they had the least amount of time to work with it and then they were followed by two other um development production companies who had a lot longer to work with it you know you had um advanced warfare and you had black ops 3 two games where they had a lot longer to work on it on the next gen than the other two so it made them look bad so i think it's their opportunity now to go okay well now we've had i mean you know three years to, to, to do this and uh, you know we've got the new consoles which have been out for a while and uh, you know it, it, it's a little bit easier for us let's do something quite cool and I think something in space would be quite cool Infinite Warfare also could be a link to the fact that in space there are pretty much an infinite amount of possibilities in terms of infinite number of planets and infinite number of different life forms and things like that maybe I don't know because technically with an infinite amount of different life forms out there there's technically infinite warfare, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to string things together. There's the only way that I could think that it could be linked to the space way in that way. Uh, I'd like to be in space. I think it'd be quite cool. It'd be something a little bit different. Might end up being a tiny bit too much Halo, but Halo is third person, so like a first person version of that. So uh, and by third person, I mean in generally the way the weapons work and the way the mechanics feel. It's not as first person to Call of Duty. I know it's not completely third person. Don't flame me on that. But that's how I feel. I'm looking forward to seeing the information about it. I've played the previous Call of Duty's campaigns, and I'm sure I'll play this one as well. So we'll update you when we have further information. With that, that wraps up this week's Catch-Up Topics. Caps Lock. Preventing logging since 1980. Pixel Podcast. Just a little side note before we dive into the next topic. Now, we did Versus last week, and there was a bit of a delays. There's a, bit, a lot going on in the whole production of Pixel Podcast at the moment with events we've got coming up and lots of other things going on as well. Things haven't been going as smoothly as maybe they had before. We'll be honest about that. So we're going to let you guys vote for another week on who you think should win versus. So head right now, pause the podcast, head right now, go to twitter.com forward slash pixel, that's P-I-X-3-L podcast, or at pixel podcast, search us, and vote for who you think won last week's versus. Do it now. So we've got a nice final little topic to end you guys on this week. I just honestly had to share it with you all. Many of you may remember the website that was created for beautiful people. You had to get approved as a beautiful person to be on this dating website. But the site for beautiful people has suffered ugly million member breach. Oh yes. Beautifulpeople.com, like I said, is a dating site that allows members to vote on hopeful and lessees based on their looks, ensuring that people who belong meet certain standards of both attractiveness and shallowness. It builds itself as a dating site where existing members hold the key to the door. Turns out the site maybe should have put them in charge of server security as well. The personal data of 1.1 million members is currently for sale on the black market after hackers took it from an insecure database. Oh dear. If your database on your website is unsecure, by now, 
you're a fool because the amount of website breakings and hacking stuff going on, just come on, seriously. Anyway, rant over. Last December, security researcher Chris Vickery made a curious discovery while browsing through Shodan, a search engine that lets people look for internet-connected devices. Specifically, he was looking through the default port designated for MongoDB, a type of database management software that until a recent update had blank default credentials. If someone using MongoDB didn't bother to set up their own password, they could be vulnerable to anyone just passing through. A quote here says, a database came up called, I believe, Beautiful People. I looked in it and it had several sub-databases. One of those was called Beautiful People, and then it had an account table that had 1.2 million entries in it. When that type of thing comes up, it's called Users. You know you've hit something interesting that shouldn't be available. Vickery informed Beautiful People that its database was exposed, and the site quickly moved it to secure it. Apparently, though, it didn't move it quickly enough. At some point, the data set was acquired by an unknown party, which is now selling it on the black market. For its part, Beautiful People has attempted to explain away the breach by saying it's only affected a test server as opposed to one in use for production. But that's a meaningless distinction, says Vickery. It makes no effing difference in the world, says Vickery. If it's real data that's in a test server, then it might as well be a production server. So who's affected? If you were a beautiful people member before last Christmas, the vulnerability was addressed on December 24th. You may well be. You can check for sure at Have I Been Pwned, that's P-W-N-E-D, a site operated by security researcher Troy Hunt. In an email statement, Beautiful People spokesperson says the breach involves data that was provided by members prior to mid-July 2015. No more recent user data or any data relating to users who joined from mid-July 2015 on when affecting, and adds that all impacted members are being notified as they were when the vulnerability was originally reported in December. So, Martin, I know that you're really, really upset that your data is now being sold on the black market. Uh, will it stop you from using the website? I think for many users, definitely. I mean, there's always a scare and you're always going to lose a lot of people through lack of security because when you uh, go online and you put in your personal details, you expect them to control it and and contain it and not let any uh, Tom, Dick or Harry to have it. Therefore, I could see a lot of members uh, just going, nope, I've had enough of this. And I just want to quickly say how shallow this website is so i'm sort of glad this actually happened in some in in some way and i was actually uh, going for it because i've never heard of this website up until now and here's what something says too ugly to sign up click here to browse beautiful people as a guest i mean (laughs) that is a kick in the crotch right there oh you couldn't get in well here's what you could have won you know it's literally that and for me it couldn't have happened to a better website, but I will say it is unfortunate that a website did get hacked and they should have done the proper precautions to prevent stuff like this. And like I said, if your software is inadequate, people are going to find a way around it. So lesson of the day, two things. First of all, don't be shallow. And secondly, make sure your security is up to scratch. Yeah, there is no excuse in this day and age. Like I said previously, this thing isn't unusual now. Hackings go on all the time. Some of the biggest companies in the world have had issues or have had been involved in discussions regarding this. There is no way of going, oh, we didn't know that it might have happened. Like, no, I'm sorry. There's just no excuse. And uh, I really don't think that uh, the, the website owners were being responsible. If you're taking people's money, then you have 
the rights or you have the responsibility to make sure that the data that they're providing you is kept safe. That is just common courtesy generally and also should be policy and made uh, into some sort of uh, regulation or something like that. But at the same time, for a website that went, you know what, eHarmony, making sure that people actually connect on some sort of uh, social or some sort of like deep level, we don't care about that as long as they look pretty. That's all that matters. That's all that makes a good relationship, as long as they look pretty. Well, bit of a bit of a reality check for you. It doesn't work like that. And that's all I'm going to say to end this article. To continue listening to the podcast, enter any 11-digit prime number after the beep. Beep. So with that, that is the end of the Pixel podcast for this week. Remember, you can check us out on iTunes and use the podcast app if you're an a- Apple user. If you're an Android user, you can find us on the Stitcher app. And for further information of the articles we discuss, you can find them and us on abruptaudio.com. So I'd like to quickly thank Ben for coming in today. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Ben. And we'll see you next week. That's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Ben. That was odd. Bye. See you later. You've been listening to the Pixel Podcast. Thank you and good night. Or as they say in gamer speak, G-G-N-O-R-E. Yeah, we literally have to be out here in, 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 three, in three minutes. Totally didn't mess that. They're going to um, kick us up. Kick us out. <laughs> totally didn't mess the ending up. No, it's fine. But if you are listening to this. Bon, bon, bon a serious note, you should really um, check out whether your data has been stolen um, from the website. I told you it wasn't a good idea. Look, okay, I was just happy getting into that. And now that my, my you data... You should really tell Davinia as well. I mean, you know, it's well, just... Uh, well, I know, but hey. It was actually her face I used. You know, it was just her photo. Oh, so you were like trying to get guys with her? What I do in my spare time, Ben, is my decision. Right, we really need to leave. Okay, then.